Hello, my name is Lee Shellnut, and I'm the pastor of the Huntersville Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. That's a mouthful, so we affectionately know of ourselves as HARP. We at HARP welcome you to the podcast of our preaching and teaching ministry. We're grateful that you've joined us. If you're encouraged by what you hear, we'd love to have you subscribe. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we love sharing the glorious good news of the Lord Jesus Christ as we preach and teach through the pages of Holy Scripture. So join us now as we open up God's Word. This is the invitation. Good morning to you all. I want to thank um, Seth for his prayer for me uh, during the pastoral prayer. I would encourage you and ask you if you would be praying for me as well. Uh, I've had a pa- uh, past, say, 48 hours, my kidney stone is, is barking at me, and so it's barking at me today, and I'm just praying that it uh, stays put until Wednesday when it should get blasted to smithereens. So if you would, please pray for me today that when I have a stone that's beginning to bother me, I can get what I call stone brain. And so things can get a little bit foggy and we're going to pray for clarity today, okay? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I ask that you would be with me in my weakness. Lord, spare these, your people, what my sins deserve. Enable me to speak your word in a way that, uh, that blesses their souls, in a way that they see Christ. For we would see Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. The texts that are before us are a portion of 2 Samuel chapter 15 and all of chapter 16. Uh, we're going to cover the second half of chapter 15. We're going to cover the first part of chapter 16, but before I even get there, I want you to hear a few verses from chapter 14. Chapter 14 is not printed in your, in your um, bulletin, so if you've got a pew Bible, you might want to turn there. You've got your own Bible. Uh, turn to chapter 14. I want you to hear verse 12 through verse 14. Now let me remind you. Joab is concerned that Absalom is outside of Jerusalem, that David's not allowing him to come back in. That's going to cause problems. Joab's going to try to fix those problems. Joab enlists and gets the wise woman of Tekoa to come, and he's going to use her to feed a story to David, to get David to be convicted of keeping Absalom out and to bring Absalom back. Okay? And the wise woman of Tekoa has done that. And here she speaks. Then the woman said to David, Please let your servant speak a word to my lord the king. And he said, Speak. And the woman said, Why then have you planned such a thing against the people of God? For in giving this decision, the king, king convicts himself. You remember her story. Her story about two sons and about one son killing the other son and then the rest of the clan wanting to kill that son. Uh, For in giving this decision, the king convicts himself, inasmuch as the king does not bring his banished one home again. We must all die. We're like water spilt on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God will not take away life, and he devises means so that the banished one will not remain an outcast. 
Now, when I'm in my literature class, I ask my students, what's literary irony? Literary irony. Literary irony is when the surface meaning of the words don't match or they're even the opposite of the meaning of the speaker or author. Now, when the wise woman of Tekoa is speaking to King David and when she says the banished one, she's thinking of whom? Absalom. The banished one will not remain an outcast. She's meaning that. But which person does God mean by the banished one? Is it Absalom in view or will it actually be King David? Well, in chapters 15 and chapter 16, we see the banishment of King David. And this is a word spoken to King David by a woman, and she didn't intend it, but it's a word for David. It's a word from God. Though you be banished, I will bring you back. Let's give our attention to God's Word. Today I want us to look at this continuing story of Absalom's rebellion, his hope for civil war, his coup d'etat. And last time our focus was upon uh, chapter 15, the first 12 verses. Our focus was upon uh, Absalom and his psychology of his sin and upon two biblical truths, human responsibility and divine sovereignty. Well, today I don't want to focus so much on Absalom, I want us to focus on rather King David. And I want us to focus on King David's response of faith in the face of hard providence, in the face of the hard providence of God, in the face of having to flee from Jerusalem for Absalom was bringing all of Israel to come to attack and to take the throne. And as we do so, what I want us to see is his response of faith I want us to better understand how uh, he was a man of faith and that faith is being renewed even through these hardships. And I want us to see how he's foreshadowing Israel when Israel's going to be sent out into exile and as he is actually foreshadowing something of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's take it section by section, something uh, that I don't necessarily always do. Let's take it section by section and let's think about the one who's fallen so badly uh, and, and because of his fall with the sin with Bathsheba and the, uh, the murder of Uriah and him not giving justice to Tamar, him not taking care of Amnon, the one who's fallen so badly and is facing these continuing temporal punishments for his sin, yet while he's doing so, he's exhibiting a renewed faith. So let's look at that, beginning with verse 13 of chapter 15. And a messenger came to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all of his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Rise and let us flee or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and, notice this, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. So the king went out and all his household after him, and the king left ten concubines to keep the house. And the king went out and all the people after him, and they halted at the last house. What do we see here in these opening verses of our section? What do we see 
of David's faith. I think we see a faith that's actually fleeing into exile. A faith that's fleeing, but it's a, it's a fleeing that's not cowardly. It's actually kingly. He's actually now behaving like a king. You say, well, how's he behaving like a king if he's fleeing from the throne, giving it up, letting Absalom just march in? How's that kingly? How's it kingly? Because he is showing great love for his people. Not only for his own safety, not only for the safety of his close family, but he is concerned with the inhabitants of Jerusalem. He doesn't want the inhabitants of Jerusalem to be besieged. Because what would happen if they were besieged? They would suffer mightily, greatly, and Absalom would come in and open warfare in the city of Jerusalem, in the city of peace. Wouldn't be good, would it? And so he is willing to give up his throne for the good of his people. He's foreshadowing, yes, Israel going into exile, but he's foreshadowing whom? The one who gave up his throne to come on behalf of his people. He's fleeing into exile. In which direction does he go? East. That's always the direction of exile. You're kicked out of the Garden of Eden, you go east. David flees east. Where will Israel go when it goes into exile? East. He's going east. And all for the care of his people. See in that, brothers and sisters, an awakening faith. A faith that's beginning to be renewed. Verse 18. And all of his servants passed by him and all the Carathites, and all the Pelethites. Notice those aren't Israelites, right? Carathites and all the Pelethites, and all the 600 Gittites. Now, all those, just for your, for your understanding, they're Gentiles. They're Gentiles who nevertheless had come and become a part of his entourage. They had come into Jerusalem. They had come to be a part of uh, those who would follow after King David. And all them who had followed him from Gath passed on before the king. The king said to Atai the Gittite, Why do you also go with us? Go back and stay with the king, for you're a foreigner and also an exile from your home. You came only yesterday. And shall I today make you wander about with us since I go I know not where? Go and take your brothers with you. And may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. What's he sounding like, brothers and sisters? He's sounding like a loving king. This man had just come on board, just joined the force yesterday. And he's willing to go with David. David says, no, 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 you don't have to. Stay. But he goes. But Atai answered the king, as the Lord lives, and as my Lord the king lives, wherever my Lord the king shall be, whether for death or for life, there also will your servant be. This Gentile by grace had come and attached himself to God's anointed, to King David, and he doesn't want to be separated from King David. And David said to Atai, go then, pass on. So Atai the Gittite passed on with all his men and all the little ones were with him, who were with him. He's bringing his family too. 
What a beautiful picture of a man outside of the covenant community who's attached himself by God's grace to God's anointed, and that meant a benefit not only to him, but for his family. And all the land wept aloud as all the people passed by. And the king crossed the brook Kidron, and all the people passed on towards the wilderness. Now what of David's faith do you see here? I think what you see is a faith that's bolstered by fidelity. A faith that's bolstered by the fidelity of a, what used to be a pagan, of a Gentile. Of one who says, I'm going to leave my people and I'm going to be your people. Your people will be my people. Who does that sound like? You remember the Old Testament character? What was her name? Ruth. It's a beautiful picture. Israel had rejected David. This Gentile receives him. The tie, as one commentator said, is an island of fidelity in a sea of treachery. Here we have a faithful Philistine versus one who is a faithless, a treacherous Israelite, a Hithophel. Here's a foreigner who sticks closer than a brother. Let's continue. Verse 24. And Abiathar came up, and behold, Zadok came also with all the Levites, and these are the priests, bearing all the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God until the people had all passed out of the city. And then the king said to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back into the city. If, and notice these words, beautiful words, amazing words, if I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, He will bring me back and let me see both it and His dwelling place. But if He says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let Him do to me what seems good to Him. What do you see about the faith of this David? You see a faith that has resigned itself to the will of God. A faith that has resigned itself to the will of God. The priests want to stay with the king, right? They don't want to be left with Absalom. They want to be, remain loyal to David. Let Absalom have the city, but not them. Let Absalom have the city, but not the symbol of the presence of the Lord, of God. But what does David say? He says, no, brothers. No. No, I'm not, I'm not going to have God's furniture and, and, and have it in some sort of superstitious way to think that uh, I'm only going to have any sort of favor if that piece of furniture is with me. No, David says. No, what did we call it weeks and weeks ago? No rabbit foot theology. No superstitious theology. You know, the idea that you've got to have the ark. If the ark's not right there, then you're doomed. David says his restoration, should there be such restoration, doesn't depend on whether he has Yahweh's furniture, but rather it depends on whether he has what? Yahweh's favor. Yahweh's favor. All rests upon the grace of God. Do you see this, the beauty of this sort of faith? That resigns itself, no matter what comes, I'm just going to trust in God. And if He'll show me favor, wonderful. 
If he doesn't, I didn't deserve it anyway. He resigns himself to the will of God. The question is, will we? Do we? Do we when we face such hardships? He's facing the hardship of having to flee with all his family and his entourage. Get out so that he might save Jerusalem. He's going to trust in God. Will we? Verse 27. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Go back to the city in, in peace with your two sons, Ahimaaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait at the fords of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. He's sending them back to be informants. He's sending them back to be what? Spies. So Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem and they remained there. And what do you see of David's faith here? You see a faith that is now, because it's resigned itself to the sovereign will of God, you have a faith that's freed by the will of God. It's free to take action. David knows that no matter what comes, God's in control. He's in sovereign control. But now, knowing that God's in sovereign control, knowing and resigning himself to the will of God, doesn't then mean that he's going to just sit back and do nothing. David's not going to be one of those who says, uh, I'm going to let go and let God. He's not going to be one of those who's just going, okay, I'm trusting in the will of God. Good, now I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to twiddle my thumbs. I'm not going to plan. I'm not going to think. I'm not going to take action. I'm not going to act. No, rather because he is trusting in the will of God, he can take action. And take action he does. What he does is he begins to set up a fifth column. He begins to set up a, a spy chain back into Jerusalem. One commentator puts it this way. He says, it may sound strange, but people who hold the faith of verses 25 and 26, that God is sovereign and everything that's going to unfold is going to unfold according to His will, and if He should show favor, He'll show favor. It may sound strange, but the people who hold the faith of verses 25 and 26 find liberty and relief and energy in it, especially in the darkest of hours. And this commentator goes on to say, there are people who know what I mean. There are people who, by God's grace, they are entrusting themselves, no matter what comes, to the will of God. And because they are, and because they know God is good, and because they know God is in sovereign control of all things, they can, yes, rest in that truth, and yes, they can take action. They can take a step. They can move forward. Let me give you, for instance, um, what if you are facing the diagnosis of stage four cancer? And we know people who are. And we know people, and, may, and maybe that day will come in your life and, and you face that terrible news. But because of grace, you resign yourself to the sovereign will of Almighty God. Because you trust in such a God who's gracious and loving and in control, then you can take action. Then you can go to your doctor and say, Doctor, what, what would you recommend as the best treatment going forward? You're free to take those steps because you're trusting in the God who's in control of all things.
May the Lord give us all such faith. Verse 30. But David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. The head of Israel now has his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up weeping as they went. And it was told David, here's the gut punch, Ahithophel. Now that was David's trusted advisor. That was David's friend, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. He's weeping, he's crying, and now he gets the gut punch. And what does he then do? Oh Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. What's happening, brothers and sisters? What do you see here about his faith? His faith is a weeping faith, and his faith is a pleading faith. He's... He's willing to weep. He's not wearing this sort of plastic happy face. You know, there's so much of Christianity that's so trite and so shallow. Oh, we've got to have a happy face and we've got to act like we're happy when all our life has fallen apart. David is realistic, brothers and sisters, you can be too. He weeps. He cries out. He pleads. Again, the head of Israel has covered his head because his son, the arrogant one who boasts about his beautiful long hair, is coming to take his throne. Notice, why is he weeping? Why is he crying out? The king has a friend who will betray him. Sound familiar? David prayed that Yahweh then would confound his adversaries. Now, dear ones, that's a common prayer in the Bible. And it ought to be a common prayer in our prayer times and in the church. Lord, confound your enemies. Lord, confound our adversaries. Any adversary that would try to stop the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is advanced into this world. Oh Lord, confound your adversaries. Any adversary that would destroy the life of little ones, oh Lord, stop your adversary. Any adversary that would call right, wrong, black, white, up, down, down, up, oh Lord, confound your adversaries. Such a prayer is a prayer of faith. May it be ours. Verse 32. While David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped, the summit of Mount of Olives, behold, Hushai, the archite, came to meet him with his coat torn and dirt on his head. Symbols of, of, of weeping, symbols of, of, of grief. David said to him, If you go on with me, you'll be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I have been your father's servant in time past, so now I'll be your servant, then you'll defeat for me the council of Ahithophel. Are not Zadok and Abiathar the priests with you there? So whatever you hear from the king's house, tell it to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Behold, their two sons are with them, Ahimaaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them you shall send to me everything you hear. 
So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city just as Absalom was entering Jerusalem. He had to clean up, had to take a shower right quick. He got into the city as soon as Absalom arrived. Now what do you see in those verses about the faith of David? You see a faith that's blessed by providence. A faith that's blessed by providence. No sooner does David pray, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness, then God begins to answer that very prayer in the form of Hushai. The full answer will come. But it won't come exactly as David has prayed. Seldom does it, does it, brothers and sisters? The prayers that we pray, oh Lord, do this, do this. And he starts to answer those prayers, but so oftentimes it's not the way we thought he would answer them. But he begins to answer David's prayer through a man. Through a human being. Through a friend. God, in his providence, sent a friend. God in His providence has sent a friend into your life at times, has He not? God in His providence sends friends to us so oftentimes right when we need them. God in His providence sent a friend. And oh, what a blessing is such a friend who's ready to be used of the Lord to bless someone in their need. We've been blessed by such friends. Are we such friends? Let us all pray that we are. Someone needs you, brothers and sisters. Someone needs you. May you be a blessing in the hand of the Lord to someone's life. Let's move into chapter 16. I'm just going to read down to verse 14. I'm going to read all these verses this time. We'll pick up the rest of the chapter, Lord willing, next week. When David had passed a little beyond the summit, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of donkeys saddled, bearing 200 loaves of bread, 100 bunches of raisins, 100 of summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, Why have you brought these? Ziba answered, The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on. All two of them. Well, it's better than nothing. The bread and the summer fruit for the young men to eat. And wine, a skin of wine at least, for those who faint in the wilderness to drink. And the king said, And where's your master's son? Saul was his master. Mephibosheth is the master's son. And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he remains in Jerusalem. For he said, Today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. Then the king said to Ziba, Behold, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. And Ziba said, I pay homage. Let me ever find favor in your sight, my lord, the king. Verse 5, when King David came to Bahurim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name, and once you read the word Saul, the name Saul, you should be saying, "Uh uh-oh, whose name was Shimei, son of Gera. And as he came, he cursed continually. 
And he threw stones at David. And all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. This guy's not afraid. He's just belting them. And Shimei said as he cursed, Get out! Get out, you man of blood, you worthless man! The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you've reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Then Abishai, son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. He is a mighty man of war after all. But the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, Curse David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and to all of his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjaminite leave him alone? Let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me, and the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. So David and his men went on the road while Shimei went along the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan. There he refreshed himself. Now what of David's faith do we see here? We see finally a faith that faces different foes. Now chapter 16 actually gives us at least three foes in addition to Absalom, but let's just focus on Ziba and Shimei. David's faith is going to be confronted by Ziba. And in so, his faith is going to be manipulated by a self-serving foe. The first foe David faces in this flight doesn't seem like a foe, does he? I mean, he comes with all these gifts. comes with provisions. comes with gifts to bring. But as we shall see as we continue on, he comes also with a self-serving lie. A lie about Mephibosheth. He comes with a gift in hand to steal the possessions of Mephibosheth, his master, his boss. And also notice he doesn't go with David, does he? He doesn't continue with David. For what if David might lose in this coming conflict? If he might lose, you don't want to be caught with him, with the losers. Okay, but what if David wins? Well, he's given him a nice gift, and maybe David's going to be nice again to him. But notice he doesn't go back into Jerusalem. He doesn't go to be with Absalom. Don't know what's going to happen with Absalom. So he's just kind of sitting by, waiting to watch, see who's going to win, and he's going to follow the winner. He's a self-serving man. He's a liar. And he's manipulating with his lies. And David, because he's in a hurry, he doesn't think it through. He doesn't have time to evaluate the story. Though his faith is being renewed, brothers and sisters, his faith was still vulnerable. 
as is ours, always, always vulnerable. Oh Lord, give us wisdom to know that all who are bearing gifts aren't necessarily bearing gifts for us as much as they're bearing gifts for their own profit. People can come and seek to give you things, bless you, but do so for their what? Their own benefit, their own profit, using you. Oh Lord, give us wisdom. But oh Lord, give us also wisdom to see where we do the same thing. Have you ever done something really nice for somebody, given them something, helped them along with something, and yet you were really doing it for whom? You. The commentator that I was reading, he really started stepping on my toes. He used this real common example. He said, just think about when we say, I'll pray for you. Now, when somebody's asking for prayer and you say, I pr I'll pray for you, that get, can be an encouragement to them. But oftentimes when you say that, maybe, maybe you'll pray, but when you say that, what are you really wanting out of it? You're wanting them to think well of you. He who has ears, let him hear. One more foe. Shimei. And in Shimei, we see in the encounter with him, faith pelted by a wrong-headed foe. Shimei is a trash talker, you know. He could trash talk with the best of them. You wouldn't want to play, play basketball with him. He's going to trash talk the whole time. He's hurling curses. He'll cuss you out and he's cussing him out. He's hurling curses and he's pelting David and all those with him with pebbles and stones and rocks and dust. He's flinging it on them. He's mimicking the stoning of the king and the execution of King David. He declares David guilty. Is David guilty? Yes, but not of what Shimei is declaring him guilty of. And Abishai is at David's side. He says, let me at him. Let me just unsheath my sword. Let's separate his head from his body. Because as one writer put it, people without heads don't curse. <laughs> Tired of hearing that cursing. It's ready to separate that head from that body. But notice David's amazing response once again. Verse 10, But the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? If he's cursing because the Lord has said to him, Curse David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? Verse 11, And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjaminite leave him alone and let him curse? For the Lord has told him to. Now I want to do something different with verse 12. Verse 12 is somewhat hard verse to translate. The reason it's hard to translate is because uh, the Hebrew words 
that's translated the, the troubles that I'm going through, that, that word, it, it, can, it, can, it looks similar to, to uh, another couple of words. And so it's kind of hard to tell which word was being used. Well, the Greek translation of the Hebrew, our English translations basically follow it. All right? But I want to follow the Hebrew translation and the, or the original Hebrew text. And if I do so, this is the way verse 12 reads. It may be that the Lord will look upon my iniquity rather than on the wrong done to me. It may be that the Lord will look upon my iniquity and that the Lord will return good to me for his cursing. What do we see of David's faith here? If this reading is correct, I'm uncovering my sin. May the Lord look upon my iniquity. And may it be that He'll cover it and He will return to me instead of wrath and judgment. He will return to me good. Is this David's secret of peace? Though he deserved cursing and wrath, maybe the God he knew, maybe the God he loved, maybe the God he had wandered from would instead return unto him mercy, grace, forgiveness, life. See David's faith. But how could such a holy God be gracious? How could such a holy God show mercy and love and grace to one who had committed adultery with Bathsheba, who had Uriah murdered, who hadn't um, given justice to Tamar, who hadn't taken care of Amnon, who had neglected all of his duty? How could God be so gracious to him? The keys in verse 14. And the king and all the people who were with him Arrived. Remember, they're, they're leaving Jerusalem. They're going over the Mount of Olives. And if you've ever been to Israel, once you have the Mount of Olives, if you go to the other side, if you go east, it's just downhill, downhill, downhill through this rocky, moonlike landscape that's dangerous with bandits all around. And it just goes down, 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 down to the deepest point on earth. It goes towards Jericho. It goes towards the Dead Sea. He's going down, down, down. And he's got this madman throwing rocks, cursing him, throwing dust all along the way, and they are weary. And they finally get where? To the River Jordan. And you can picture it, can't you? They step into the Jordan. They lap up the water. They drink. And what do they do? Because they got dust all over them. What do they do with the water from the River Jordan? They, they're giving themselves baths. David is pouring the water over his head. He's being refreshed. 
What's the answer to how can God be gracious to David? The answer is that would, there would be one who would come in the future, the son of David, who would enter into that very river and so identify with sinners like David and sinners like us and would submit himself to baptism, the baptism of John, where the water from the river Jordan was poured upon Jesus as if Jesus was dirty, as if Jesus were guilty. A baptism of repentance. And Jesus would allow that water to fall upon his head for you and for me. And then Jesus would do what? He wouldn't go east, he'd go west. He wouldn't go down, he'd go up. And where would he eventually go? To the city of peace. And he would enter in. He would cross over the Mount of Olives. He would descend the Mount of Olives. He would cross the brook Kidron. He would go up, he would go through the gates, he would go into Jerusalem. And there in Jerusalem, what would happen? There in that environment, what would happen? There at Gethsemane, what would happen? A friend would betray him. And people would what? Reject him. And people would do what? Mock him and hurl insults at him. And he would go as the king of kings. He would allow himself to be what? Crucified. Executed. If you're trusting in Jesus, executed in your place on your behalf. Now, may your faith look up to this son of David, to this king upon a cross, who suffered it all, in your place so that you might receive favor. It may be that the Lord will look upon my iniquity and that the Lord will return good. Let's pray. Father, may our faith now be a spirit-enabled faith May we all possess that faith. And may we, O oh Lord, look to Jesus. May our faith look unto Him, the One who has done everything so that we might be saved. For it's in His name I pray. Amen.